Well, how about this? My goddaughter has made a recording. Something like the way I've been making recordings. And uh, I've listened to the first 13 minutes. And I've gone back to the start now, and I'm going to have another listen. Uh, it goes for 40 minutes, which is a little bit shorter than most of mine. You know, like my previous episode, I just spoke for an hour straight. And I'm sure she could too. We're both chatters. That's why we chat. Um, but, you know, I'm getting... I like the way she speaks, you know. Uh, she's got a lovely accent. Uh, you know. yeah, are you from overseas? <laughs> you? Listener? I don't have listeners. But if I had a listener, you know, would you be from overseas? And what's your idea of the Australian accent, you know? I, I'll bet you if someone said, um, uh, what's, what's your idea of an Australian accent? You'd probably put one on, mimic it, you know? Yeah, mate, uh... Yeah, this is an Australian accent, uh, like that, you know. But the funny thing is, if someone were to say that to us, we do that too. (laughs) We bung it on, you know. So if we're bunging it on for the purpose of trying to describe what what an Australian accent is, then we're not speaking it in ordinary circumstances, are we? And my goddaughter speaks uh, not with what you would call overseas what you would call an Australian accent. You know, it's the first thing that, that sprang, sprang to mind as I was listening to her. Oh, um, yeah, she's got a very even tone. Uh, the next thing is she's succinct. Uh, I'm much more vague and chaotic in the way I speak. Uh, I say um and you know a lot and I don't try and pull myself up for that. Uh, I don't mind I like saying, ah, uh, you know, because in my podcasts, I am very keen to convey a sense of vagueness in terms of what I'm thinking. Um, so I'm happy to um, come across as not um, forthright and uh, definitive and all those sorts of things uh, because you know, I see them as... Uh, a bad thing for me. You know, I don't want to say I think boom boom, you know what I mean? Because there's very few things on the whole in the whole world on which I want to come across as being pretty certain about, you know. Very few things. You know, murder? You know, what do I think of murder? You know? Uh, some people say murder's bad and that's it, you know. Um, and whereas, you know, I can, I can think of, you know, most people can easily think of uh, you know, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> That's what God said. But you know, most people can think of a hundred examples in which murder would be the best thing to do. You know? um, and that goes with everything. You know, refugees. You know, let the refugees in. Well, you know, I like to say, well, you know, I like to say, you know, you know. Um, and people say, stop. You all refugees welcome. You know, you know. Uh, and whereas I like to keep my language vague. You know, I say. Um, well, you know, you got to weigh these things up, you know. People say, oh, you bad person weighing things up. Look at you, you know. You've got it so lucky, you know. Um, born with a Tatslotto ticket in your hand, born in Australia, and, you know, some kid in blah, blah um, is dying of hunger, and you say, oh, i got to weigh up the issues, you know. Maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to let that kid die, you know. You sort of think, how dare you even say that? Um, but again, I can think of a hundred examples in which 
you could let, you know, I think just about everyone would let that kid die. In fact, I think just about everyone in that kid, everyone in Australia is letting that kid die. You know, um, the Greens, for example, which are probably our most you know, pro-refugee political group in Australia, are horrified that we have a quota of, you know, I don't know how many thousand refugees per year. And they said it should, I think they said it should be increased to 25,000. I can't remember the exact figure. But let's say we've got a quota of, you know, I'll just say 5,000 off the top of my head, which could be wildly wrong. It's not important, the figures. You know, um, sometimes uh, you listen to a podcast like this, ah, I gotcha, you know, but I'm not a gotcha kind of guy. You can't gotcha with me because the figures are not important here. You know, this is the vagueness I try and um, uh, use in my podcast. Yeah, and the Greens say, no, I think 25,000 people, you know, uh, because I'm horrified, they say, your lack of compassion, 5,000 people, you know, 25,000, you know, and I said, no, oh, what about the 25,000 and first person, you're going to let that kid die? Yeah, so, you know, that's why I like vagueness, you know, because I think we're all, no one can be good. Now, onto my goddaughter, uh, she, you know, this makes me vague, so I spoke about myself there for a bit, but my goddaughter, more succinct, um, uh, but still very measured in her, uh, in the way she speaks. Um, and I'll get on to what she's speaking about in a minute. But my first impressions are she speaks very well. Um, she, she should do speaking. Uh, and I think she speaks better than me. And I really do. Uh, maybe she'll make a podcast one day and you will find out for yourself. Okay, now I'll pause for a second and have my little bit of theme music and I'll listen to a, a couple of minutes of what she's saying and I'll, I'll make of it what I will. You know, I'll think of something to say about it. Okay, here we go. I'll, I'll, I'll just listen to her podcasts in little grabs and you know, that can form the basis uh, for this podcast, you know, this episode. Okay. Before I start listening to her podcast, my goddaughter's podcast, look, it's not a podcast, it's just a recording she sent me, but I'll just imagine it's a podcast because, you know, I don't want to pull myself up every time I say something slightly wrong, you know, um, and, and, and as I listen to her podcast, I don't want to pull her up in my mind every time she gets something slightly wrong, you know, imagine she says, oh, um, Washington crossed you know, the Hudson River, you know, and I said, ha ha, gotcha, it was the Delaware, right, I'm not listening to this podcast anymore, this podcast is rubbish, uh, the whole point you're making, goddaughter, is uh, wrong, because you said he crossed the Hudson and he crossed the Delaware, you got the river wrong, which means your overall point is wrong too. I could be. I could approach it like that, and uh, and then, yeah, my goddaughter no doubt would start to feel flustered and say, "All right, whatever, Hudson, Delaware, it doesn't matter to my major point." No, you said you really should do your homework before you um, before you do a podcast. You know, how can I believe anything else you say if 
you know, you can't even get the Hudson and the Delaware around the right way. Um, how can I trust anything else you say? And then, you know, my goddaughter might get lost and say, it's, it's not important, it's not central, you know. All right, next time I'll say, um, you know, Washington crossed a river, you know. Too late, you already said Hudson. <laughs> All right, there are people who'll go into a podcast listening like that. Um, yeah. I actually um, saw something like that in the cricket last night. Because, you know, well, the Ashes is on, and um, Steve Smith is just being a Bradman again. Uh, but, and this is relevant to my goddaughter's um, uh, podcast, as I shall call it, even though it's not. Um, because really one should, if for oneself, not for her or for me or anyone else, but, you know... Um, it's better to be aware of how you're thinking than unaware of how you're thinking, isn't it? You said, no, no, I'm happy to be unaware of how I'm thinking. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> because you're actually, you're going to bring some biases anyway. You know, so you might as well be aware of them. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to be just unaware. You're just going to fall into accidental biases, you know. It's even better to be deliberately biased than accidentally biased. Surely, you know. Well, if you think not then good for you, you know. But um, I was listening, oh, no, I just read a little bit on Crick Info, you know, which is a cricketing app. I'm, I'm mad on my footy and cricket. As, um, and oh, the weather's been terrible um, at Leeds, at Headingley, last test, and now this test. Um, and you know, half the day's getting wiped out by rain and wind. And last Yesterday was ridiculous. Wind, rain, and all that sort of stuff. And it's England, you see. And... Um, and one of the commentators uh, made the point because test cricket, it starts at 11 o'clock. And uh, so he's making a point, you know, and much like I'm sure without listening too much on to my goddaughter's podcast, you know, my goddaughter makes certain points and I make certain points in my podcasts too. Um, and thanks, by the way, goddaughter, if you're listening to this, because you have um, inspired my next episode. My next um, cheap, plastic, Chinese toy of an episode. <laughs> now, um, so, in the cricketing thing last night, um, one of the commentators uh, remarked, well, this is ridiculous. You know, we're not getting a full day's cricket in. Every day we're sitting here just watching squalls of winter <laughs> sweeping across the ground, this England, this bloody England, you know, it rains half the time, we should start test matches earlier, at 10 o'clock, so that if there is a bit of rain, you know, we've got more chance of getting a full day of cricket in, um, or maybe we should even start at 9, he said, or better still, why don't we just have all test matches in Australia, you know, English weather is terrible, you know, I'm sick of this, you know, he was clearly just getting sick of the English weather, it was wrecking the cricket, which it does, actually more often than not. Anyway, so he made that point. Now, I think that's a good point, you know. He said, why don't we have, yeah, we're not going to do it, you know, because that's just not cricket, you know. But he was making a point, you right. Now, you could climb all over what he said in as much, in just the same way you could climb all over everything, whatever my goddaughter says in her recording, if you were to ever listen to it, or climb all over my recordings as well, you know, and just pick holes, find little things, little pedantic bits and pieces, you know, 
little things she's emphasised, probably overemphasised or underemphasised, you know, things like that. Um, you know, places where she says, you know, Washington crossed the um, Hudson, you know. And you say, aha, it was the Delaware. Uh, and she says, what? Uh, but she's making a bigger point, you know, it's nothing to do with which river Washington happened to cross, you know, in, you know, she might be talking about the American Revolution or something, and Washington crossed the Hudson River, she's saying, and blah, blah, blah. But what I'm getting at with that is that's symbolic of, you know, boom, 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 you know what I mean? Crossing the river and all that sort of stuff, you know. Oh, Washington and walk on water, that guy. Now, um, she might be making that point, you know, about the symbolism of Washington crossing the, the, the Hudson, as she puts it. And then someone might go, gotcha, it was the Delaware. And, she, and she's mid-thought, you know, mid-stream in her consciousness. She said, sorry, what? You got the river wrong. Yeah, all right, she says, I don't care, whatever. All right, what is it? Delaware. Yeah, Delaware. All right, Delaware, not Hudson. And she says, anyway, what I was saying, no, no, stop. She says, what? No, stop. You got the river wrong. Yeah, I know I got the river wrong, but I'm making a bigger point. It's not about which river it is. No, stop. If you If you can't... You know, if I can't trust you to get the river right, how can I trust anything you say? And then she might say, what on earth are you talking about? And I'll say, no, no, this is important. It's a famous moment. You got the river wrong. And then there's that frustration that might build in her because she said, look, I'm trying to make a, a, a bigger point. And yes, I, even I know as I'm speaking, I'm going to get some minor things, you know, minor points of detail wrong. You know, I'm going to say something's to the south when it's to the west, sometimes, you know. I'm going to speak in generalisations, sometimes, but be aware of that. You know that's the, you know that I'm doing that, you know. And, and um, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. And I already heard a bit of my goddaughter's uh, podcast, and she said, you know, back in early Australia, unlike in early America, it wasn't so much about black and white, it was more about culture, you know, and I did hear her say that in her um, thing, and I think she's right, you know, and, you know, now somebody could easily say, oh, it was about black and white too, they thought all those black people were primitive, and she yes, and she might say, yes, I know, I know, but I'm making a more important point here, that, you know, dominantly, primarily, you know, um, it was uh, a clash of cultures in as much, and I already heard her say this, so I'm already leveraging off my goddaughter's podcast, um, you know, because she's inspiring this podcast uh, now. Um, and she might say, you know, uh, dominantly the English were there just to set up a colony and to survive, basically, you know, in, in Australia. They weren't there... Um, they didn't go over there specifically to smash blacks, you know, <laughs> indigenous people. They were there to set up a colony and try and survive and make a make a fist of it, you know. Um, and to a certain extent, they were happy just to push the Aborigines off a small patch of land so that they could have that patch of land for themselves. Greed, whatever, you know. Um, they didn't. They didn't have a real concept. There was a misunderstanding of culture between the two cultures. Blah blah blah. Whatever she says on that point, I won't get into what she says. But she said it wasn't mostly about um, that. It was about, and I think she correctly says this. You know, um, you know, the, the English might plant a few potatoes and feel that they own that crop plot of land upon which you know they put the work in and put the potatoes in the ground, and an Aborigine. Indigenous person, first Australian, whatever you want to call it, comes along, picks the potato and eats it. 
because that person has no concept that anything in the ground isn't fair game in the hunter-gatherer sense, all right? Has no concept in 65,000 years, and I'm leveraging off my goddaughter's uh, podcast already because I like this bit, and um, fair game, um, no concept in 65,000 years that a potato that is found in the ground is something that shouldn't be picked. Of course it should be picked. It's edible. Eat it. You know, it could be something like that, you know. And she's saying, and then, you know, and I think she, you know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, because I listened to the first little bit, um, she's saying, then, you know, the, um, the English settlers would get upset that their potatoes had been, here's the golden word, stolen. Yeah. And the indigenous person had no concept of this form of stealing. It wasn't stolen from their perspective, it was stolen from the Europeans' perspective. And look, overall, you know, you've got two mobs try, you know, essentially trying to live in parallel, and um, and um, and the Europeans hadn't, you know, they'd only established a small penal colony, you know, mostly for, mostly for convicts in the first instance, and then for some settlers. But they marked out a boundary and lived within that boundary. That was the rule. The governors made that rule. You know, they even said the governors um, they forbade the settlers from crossing the Blue Mountains at one point, they drew a line and said we do not want to go further the limits of the colony are here, stay within these boundaries, you know essentially leaving the indigenous people free to roam the rest of um, Australia um, these are the limits, you know of the of the, um, of the colony, you know um, and as it turns out uh Settlers uh, tended to disobey the governor and go out there anyway, you know, and you know, squatters and all that sort of stuff, as it was called. A little bit like squatters these days uh, find a, a vacant building and um, and just live in it, even though they don't own it, you know. And, and and the law says they should not, you know, but they do. And then once they've been there for a while, you can't get them out, and they end up sort of staying there. And then even the law doesn't know what the hell to do with that, and just lets them. All right. So, you know, that was a bit like um, the opening up of Central Australia. Um, and my goddaughter is inferring all this in her podcast. I heard it, and saying it's you know it's not as black and white as people think. You know. Um, people say oh the english came over and then spread across the blue mountains and you know had border wars and battles and skirmishes skirmishes is what my uh, goddaughter that's the word she used now it was a war from the indigenous perspective and she uses that word too you know and i like the way she does that she says look on one level it's skirmishes and on another level it's a war she's absolutely right you know um look um uh, Waterloo, the Battle of Waterloo was happening around about the same time as early Australia, and, you know, that was war. That was a battle, you know, not a skirmish, a battle. Um, you know, I can't remember how many people got killed, you know, but I'm pretty sure it was like 20 or 30,000 English people, and maybe 20,000 English people and 30,000 French, you know, maybe 20,000 each, you know, all died on one day. Now, that's a battle, right? Now, um... Now, there were border wars, as we call them in Australia, you know, where may, maybe 50 people got killed or 40, you know, at the same time. Maybe 8, 12, you know, look them up yourself. Look at all the massacres online. And there were massacres, and it was a war from the Indigenous perspective. 
um, because, you know, uh, a mob of only 200 people and 40 get killed, that's a, that's a, that's a slaughter, you know. Um, but, um, uh, but on one level, you know, from the European perspective, like you've got a woman, say, who is um, in Sydney Cove at the time, and two reports come in, one of a massacre of Aborigines and one of the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo. And she hears that 26 people got killed on the indi- in the Indigenous battle and 45, 50,000 people, 50,000 people got killed in the other battle. Um, and in the other battle, the one in Waterloo, you know, eight of her cousins died, an uncle died, her father died, um, and you know, about 44 people she knew died, you know, um, all slaughtered, and she's in mourning about that. And, um, and then an activist from the 21st century comes back and grabs her by, and she's crying about all the people she loved who has died, who have died. I'm not trying to apologise for what happened at the Indigenous Massacre here. I'm just saying it's, you've got to use, one language is appropriate sometimes and another language is appropriate another time, you know. And some, an activist from the 21st century comes back and says, with my wisdom gained over the, you know, next 200 years, which you should have already, you know, which you should have already slap in the face, you know, this woman, you racist, you are worrying more about the Battle of Waterloo than you are worrying about the, you know, the Mile Street Massacre. And she says, what? I don't understand what you're saying. Don't you understand, says the activist. Why aren't you as smart as me? You know, and the reason is because the activist has had the benefit of 200 years of thinkers that came before her or him, right? And um, she's acting so smart. That says she, okay? And uh, the, the woman back there is just confused and she's, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, don't you know these indigenous people are just like you? And she says, are they? Well, of course, DNA proves it. What's DNA? Genetics, you know. What's genetics? I don't understand these words. What are you talking about? We are all the same underneath. Are we? She says, I don't understand, you know. Look, it's, science has proven that at a cellular level, you know, we are all the same. We are not different. And the woman who just got slapped in the face is saying, I, I don't even know what a cell is. Do you get it, what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, okay, now, um, so that's that. Now, this is not to say that the skirmish, it was a skirmish, you know, like if um, Napoleon and um, Wellington over at the Battle of Waterloo were briefed on the Mile uh, Mile Street Massacre, I think, was um, slightly um, after Waterloo. I can't remember, actually. But any massacre that was happening at the same time, there were massacres all the time, Um, most likely, um, you know, briefed on this, you know, massacre, let's say 25 people got killed, you know, because that was, you know, that would be fairly high, you know, for a massacre, from what I've read, you know, maybe you get, sometimes there are eight people were massacred, you know, Um, and, yes, often, um, and and often it was unlawful, 
the massacres were unlawful by these settlers, you know, against the law. You know, so... Um, but anyway, get put that thought aside just for a second. And... Um, and... Um, so, Wellington and Napoleon are briefed and each briefed on this massacre that happened in Australia. And they both go... Right, okay, let's move on anyway because I just lost 200 people uh, in the last seven seconds over there. You, move over those fl- that flank. I want 400 men over there, please. And uh, attack the English from that point there. Now, just before you go, uh, 200 of you will die, all right? Probably 300, but do it. And off they go. You know, <laughs> he'd say, uh, what were you talking about with that indigenous thing again? Whatever, you know? Anyway... It's that sort of thing happening all at the same time. So from their perspective, the border, you know, what we call the border wars, and I do call them border wars with the indigenous people, to Napoleon or Wellington, they're skirmishes. Um, Okay, so that's that. But anyway, the opening up of the centre of Australia, you know, um, look, and I'm jumping in time. Um, And we're often settlers illegally going on to land as squatters and um, and sealing it, basically. And then those squatters becoming rich and then, you know, uh, as a result, and having been fairly wealthy and influential anyway, and then they're able to sort of corrupt the, um, the political system to retrospectively make their stolen land legal. You know, and there's not a thing that comparatively well-meaning governors can do about it. And I will say they are comparatively well-meaning, the governors, the early governors of Australia. <coughs> you know, they, they weren't trying to enslave indigenous people and all that sort of stuff. They were trying to live side by side to a very large extent. Just look up, look it all up, you know. Um, and I think... Um, my goddaughter's podcast is making that point in general terms um, unless you want to smash her from the start you know and be looking for little technicalities um, that you can say to her gotcha you know when she's making a broader point um, if you're going to listen to her podcast in that way of thinking or indeed my podcasts well I think your brain isn't switched on already you know you haven't got that flexibility what they call in my in work agility you know mental agility to weigh things up you know weigh things up and I think people aren't able to do that and I almost talked about the cricket cricket commentator because it is relevant last night anyway I'll get back to that and it's about um yeah this is just a stream of talk now because I didn't even pause then did I but I did just then Right, the cricket commentator, and he, um, one commentator said, why can't we just start these test matches earlier, nine o'clock, so that we can get some cricket in, you know, because of this English weather, or better still, why don't we just play test cricket in Australia, and forget about playing test cricket in England, you know, because, you know, obviously weather is good, better in Australia, um, and he said, and he actually said it, I could read it, but he said, you know, at least, you know, we're going to get three test matches out of five completed. You know, he said something like that. And, um, and, and that's that. Now, do you know what? He actually wasn't proposing we actually do that 
he was making a bigger point. I think you can get that. He's, he says, better still, you know, why don't we just play in Australia? You know? Was he actually proposing, you know, to overturn 150 years of test cricket history where the Ashes are played England, then Australia, and then England, then Australia, you know? Um, was he seeking to overturn that? Was he actually making a policy statement here? No! He was making a broader point. And the broader point being that something has to be done. You know, whether that be alter the schedules, play at a slightly different time, you know, nine o'clock starts, you know, seven o'clock finishes, play under lights, you know. He was making a point. He was saying, let's start thinking, you know. And I think he was actually he was actually making that point. He, he really was, let's start thinking. He wasn't seriously saying that he literally is proposing what he's saying. Now, this translates well to any podcast where people are thinking aloud. And I'm talking about sensible people like my goddaughter, thinking aloud and honestly, you know, I I was listening to my goddaughter's um, podcast and with her there was a certain genuineness in the way she was speaking and honesty um, um, and that even I don't possess really, you know, because I'm a a smartass, you know. She was being quite genuine and and feeling, you know. because that's more her, and uh, you know, honest, you know, wanting to really be honest with her feelings, whereas I'm much more likely to be a smart, uh, smart-ass satirist, you know. I'm happy to go the satire, say the opposite of what I think, you know, bullshit, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm much happier to do that, and uh, uh, much more blasé. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I think this cricket commentator was saying that and guess what the other commentator said and I might even read it to you in fact I will after this so you know what I'm talking about because it translates well and he said you obviously weren't at the Sydney test earlier this year yeah because that one did get rained out oh my god uh, what do they call that in the modern lingo palm face you know is that where you slap your face with the palm of your hand you know something like that yeah, and the, but this is the way social media, for example, works, and a lot of people, th- and this is the way a lot of people think in the modern age. Um, someone is making a point that's you know fairly sophisticated, and they're using examples to illustrate that point, and the other person is listening all ears for a technicality to to go gotcha on, um, and to uh, pull the other person down on. You know, the way, you know, the emphasis with which the comment was made or the example that was used and all that sort of stuff, you know. And they say, aha, whole point is gone. Your whole point is smashed because, you know, you've got a technicality wrong. Hang on, let me just try and find this. Um, it was interesting. Uh, here it is. Uh, 6.09. And, uh, you know, listen up. <laughs> listen up if you want. Um, how about... Right. Um, so 5.57pm, you know, their time, um, which is during the middle of the night, overnight, commentator, number one, uh, some commentator, no update at the moment, the covers are still on, you know, through the rain, and nothing has changed, the rain is still intermittent, we were due to start at 5.50pm, Malcolm Watson, colon, how about... And call me crazy, call me a crazy person for even suggesting this 
never heard before idea, starting the bloody tests in England in the morning at like, or even, shudder, 9am. I'm actually, this is verbatim. Might get some overs in before darkness times. And then Lambdog. Just keep the ashes down under. At least there's none of this bad light and rain rubbish every other session. Every other day of every other test, guaranteed five tests played in full. Oh, that's what he said. All right, so Landorg has said guaranteed five tests played in full in Australia. Now, you know what? He was just, he was making a point. Now, it's not guaranteed, is it? Because you could have rain in Australia, couldn't you? Do you get what I'm saying? He's exaggerating sort of thing on purpose, right? And the other person said, oh, you obviously missed the Sydney test this year where day five was washed out, lamb dog. Yeah. Now, as you listen to podcasts, how do you listen? Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's an eye roller. Yeah, in my opinion, what that guy said at the end. Yeah. Oh, look, look, he did say it. Guaranteed five tests played in full, you know. When there are no guarantees in this world, you can have an earthquake, earthquake in Australia, can't you? We have one of them every thousand years. Yeah. So, all right, you get what I'm saying. Now, um, look, he did say the wrong thing, Malcolm Watson. Um, but what I'm saying that his point was good still. Yeah. Now, as it turns out, I think that other commentator isn't is, is probably you know I can't hear the tone of voice, and he probably was being a bit um, charming in the way he's responding to Malcolm Watson. But you know, this is done in a non-charming way in public discourse. You know, and I think especially these days, you know, and um, um, you know, and 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 I know that um, my goddaughter in the podcasts that are about to come up talks about the idea that it wasn't about black and white so much when the earliest when the early British the first British came to Australia. In fact, they were they you know they were quite quite enlightened you know and you know I happen to think they were much less racist than the first Australian. 1901, you know, the first Australians, you know, when Australia came into being, because the British got here in 1788, but Australia came into play, Australia started to exist in 1901, you know, so 1788, you know, British colony was formed, British colony was formed, but 1901, Australia was formed, right? Now, the early British, I think, were more enlightened towards the Aborigines, Indigenous people, whatever, yeah, because this was the era of enlightenment, um, and I think that had uh, degraded, you know, that Enlightenment thinking by the time we got to 1901. And I think Australians were a lot more racist by 1901. You know, erstwhile British people, you know, but the, the, by then they were the grandchildren of the British people and had been living in this harsh land, and it was a harsh land then, you know, out in the outback actually slaving, um, you know, clearing shrub and mallee roots and all this sort of stuff you know 1901 um generations of australians had been doing back-breaking work actually killing themselves trying to clear land and all that sort of stuff for future generations you know what they felt that they had a moral claim to that land they were clearing by then um and you can say how could they have a moral land that was indigenous land oh yes but you know there were people out there through sheer virtuous hard work, you know, as far as they knew, were clearing 
um, unpossessed land for future their future, their children and their grandchildren and for the community, and they didn't enjoy it. There was no pleasure. It wasn't you know casual empire building. It was bloody hard work, um, isolated from the cities, way out in you know, you know rural Victoria. Um, living like crap for their entire lives, uh, clearing horrendously bad land. You know, these are the poorer people, let's say. And um, and you know what? They felt after they had done that and then done all that shocking work of fencing and um, and then getting meagre crops out of that land um, and starve, half starving half the time, they kind of had, you know, sort of a moral... They started to feel morally attached to that land, you know, because they'd worked so hard for their whole lives, and their grand and their father had too, and soon enough their grandfather had too, you know. And then they plant a crop, and then some indigenous, a couple of indigenous blokes come and slaughter two of two of their own. They've only got four sheep, and two of them get slaughtered by indigenous people, and in absolute fury they go out and, and you know kill the indigenous people. Shocking, right? But it adds a layer of context, you know. Now I'm, you know, and that's a border war. You know what I mean? That's a border skirmish. Now, um, that's what happens in real life. That sort of thing, and that's the cultural clash. And my goddaughter does very clearly and strongly, and very well, I think, hint at that um, by saying, "Listen, this was what was going on. It was a clash of resources, a clash of land, comprehension of land." more than a clash of skin colour. And I think that's true of, you know, Australia in 1788, which wasn't even Australia then, okay? I sometimes make that point. Look, Australia didn't come into being until 1901. And in 1901, you know, in 1902, Australia was only one year old. It wasn't 65,000 year old years old. We're talking about the nation state of Australia was only one year old in 1902. It was young. There was a certain amount of freedom attached to it in a certain definition of liberty, liberalism and all that sort of stuff, you know, because there were laws enacted, you know, that provided for freedom for, you know, citizens at least, you know. Um, And Indigenous peoples weren't invited into that, you know, social club, as you might call it. Um, Well, with good reason, you know, because they had their own sort of systems and government. Would you, you know, back in 1901, would it have been even appropriate to give Indigenous people the vote? You know, if you were an Indigenous person, would you have wanted the vote, you know? Or would that have been an admission that um, you were going to be a member of this European club and no longer a traditional owner, you know? Owner in inverted commas, you know what I mean? Um, you know, years later in the 1960s, um, we thought, oh, you know, Indigenous people should be getting civil rights. But back in 1901, was civil rights appropriate or did we have two cultures living in parallel? Now, obviously, one much more greedy than the other. Obviously, I'm not trying to paint the Europeans as good people. You know, their entire history, uh, Europeans, they turned into bad people on one level. Um, yeah, but that was their history. They were brutalised by history. You know, the Europeans were brutalised by history. Just read about it. They, you know, so all their uh, comprehension of the way of the world 
you know, the law of the jungle as it was back in Europe, um, culturally, the Europeans were absolutely brutalised. And, you know, you either claim land or you die, you know. Like people say, oh, you know, sometimes people say, oh, the English people are, um, you know, casually empire-building. That's why they came to Australia. It was nothing like that at all. England came here in a state of fear, okay? Fear drove most European discussions at that point in time, you know. England had just lost a war to the Americas, uh, to the Americans, you know, who were previously British, essentially. Um, but, you know, uh, they had lost that war. Major deaths, you know what I mean? Uh, this was about the time that... Um, this was just before, you know, this is 17, um, 1770. Six, you know, um, you know, the American War of Independence, and England had just lost the war. They weren't even coming to Australia, the English. They had no plans to really come to Australia, but they lost the colonies over in America, and America was forming, you know, got its independence, and England no longer could, for example, send its convicts there. So, um, reluctantly, they came to Australia, you know, and it was reluctant. Otherwise, they would have come before, wouldn't they? You know, they had a whole 18 years between when Captain Cook came and when they eventually came, and they didn't bother. You know, I think there would have been another 18 years. And, and look, and, uh, you know, soon enough, you know, and, um, they were having friction with France. You, know, you either ca- did something, you, you either struck out and tried to find other places to be and colonise and all that sort of thing, or you died you know, in 1788. And then even more so in 1812, for example, you know, 18, oh, is that Waterloo? Um, the Indigenous Australians had a much more likely, were much more likely to survive than the English. The English were in much more danger. This is not casual empire building. Yeah, the British just going in, oh, I'll take this, I'll take that, I'll take the other, you know. No, in Parliament, England was frightened about whether it was even going to exist in three years. Napoleon was on the, on the, on the, on the rise. Uh, Napoleon had just made a comeback, you know, with Waterloo. But even before that, you know, the French Revolution sent a shudder through England. And Napoleon earlier, you know, they thought he was going to sweep everywhere. He, he did sweep nearly everywhere. He did get to England. And then, you know, uh, he made a great big comeback. And then the Battle of Waterloo and then Napoleon got knocked off by Wellington. Very lucky, you know. Um, uh, was it Wellington? You know, have I got that wrong? Yeah. Or was it Lord Nelson? See, this is the sort of thing, you know, it was Wellington on this occasion. I'm pretty sure I got that right on this occasion. But imagine I actually have been saying Nelson all this time, you know, when Nelson was actually the Battle of Trafalgar, you know, which is another very important battle, but a different one. You know, know, I've been speaking now for maybe half an hour more. Um, If I had got the wrong guy, would that be smashing my entire argument? Or would the argument still stand, but I just happen to get the guy wrong? Well, there are people who listen to podcasts, and this is the point I'm making, who would say, no, yeah, your whole point is thrown out the window, because you got the guy wrong, you know? So that's the sort of thing, you know? Anyway, my goddaughter makes all these sorts of points, and uh, she makes many other points, which I'll get into, and I'm sure she won't mind me having a chat about her podcast, Um, and I've chatted, you know, overly long about it now, but I like chatting about this sort of stuff, and... um, you know, what's another example? I heard her talk about, you know, um, in America, you know, we ha- in Australia, we have nothing like the political parties in America, in Australia. Um, 
the Republicans and the Democrats in in America. There is uh, there's nothing similar here in Australia, you know. Um, and so I think she's suggesting. In fact, I know she's suggesting that if you expose yourself to a heavy diet of YouTube clips of politics from America, you know, about the um, the battle between the Republicans and the Liberals over there. Sorry, the Republicans and the Democrats, and what they who are what they call the Liberals over there. You know, you're going to have a warped idea. It's not. It's not going to make much sense when you try and translate that to Australia. You know, she makes that point clearly. Now, I haven't listened to all of that of what she said. She was only just starting to talk about that when I was listening to her. But I bet, as I as I listened to her, you know, um, you know, yeah, because we've got the Liberal Party, which is our Conservatives, and the Labor Party, which is for the workers. So our Conservatives say party, um, which is called the Liberals. Um, obviously has nothing to do with their liberals, who are their leftists. You know, our right liberals are their left and their left liberals, but they're completely different box of frogs. Different box of frogs. And our, their Republican Party is not like our, um, uh, our you know, conservative liberal party. It just is a mess if you try and untangle like this. You know, because, you know, the Republican Party over there is pretty much for the worker, but and they're the right wing over there, but the left wing over here is for the worker. You know, the, you know, battlers, the battlers, the strugglers, you know. Um, and to a certain extent, our Labour, you know, they're progressive, let's say, over there, are much more into progressive issues, you know, like all the celebrities, you know, and my goddaughter makes this point, you know, uh, the Meryl Streep's and all this sort of stuff of the world, you know. Um, they're much more into, what, gender equality and all those sorts of things full bore, you know. That's their idea of left leaning liberalism, you know what I mean? But we've got right-leaning liberalism here, and our left-leaning party is more for the worker, the battlers, the strugglers, much more so for them than, you know, and for soldiers is our left-leaning party, um, than for you know, gender equality and you know African-American rights and all that sort of stuff, African-Australian rights, for example. Our Labor Party will m- first and foremost protect the worker, above Africans. So if you say leftist in Australia, you know, what are their values? You know, and I'm talking the, um, and uh, you know, in, uh, I'm talking the um, Labour Party here. Um, first and foremost, um, they'll look after the worker, you know, but those workers are often racist. But the la- our left-leaning Labour Party will look after those workers, first and foremost, unions, all those sorts of things. You know, workers first. You know, that's that's our left-leaning party, all right? And um, and our Labour Party, the left party, you know, they tried to get rid of the, um, the uh, detention camps briefly, but then put them back in place for refugees. You know, this is our, our concept of left, you know what I mean? Um, so... There's no comparison. My goddaughter makes this point. Now, I don't know how she makes that point very much yet, but I'll bet you, I'll bet you that if you are listening um, to my goddaughter's podcast and you have already decided that Australia is another, just another version of America, politically, socially, and all that sort of thing, and... You know, and you see, you know, and you have already decided that we're just a, another version of America, exactly the same. It's uh, all on black-white divides and all that sort of stuff. 
um, you'll be listening to a podcast and you'll be able to come up with an example and you say, aha, no, I look, I just found on Facebook an example of, you know, in 1810, someone who was clearly uh, racist against Aborigines on colour lines, skin colour lines. Yeah, and this is where, you know, you sort of want to face palm. Face palm. Missing the point. You know what I mean? Um, and the most devastating thing is, is if people listen to too many YouTube clips from America and other things from America, we could, you know, it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy in Australia if enough people imagine we are just like America, and we're not. We don't have a history of slavery. Oh, yes, we did. I can find a photo of a person who really looked like a slave once, you know, in South Australia, um, and I saw, I've got the photo. Wait a minute. I'm going to put it up on Facebook. There it is. And she was saying, yeah, but that was unlawful. You know, I actually saw that... Um, photo, there was a, such a photo, and a policeman was keeping um, an indigenous guy, and do you know that policeman ended up in jail, whereas, you know, for, maybe for other reasons, but he was outside, you know, he was rogue, whereas in, whereas in America, that sort of slavery type idea was, um, was institutionalised, you know, it was establishment, yeah, so if, um, if an Australia, if the Australian law says slavery is outlawed, you know, and obviously, you know, the Pacific Islanders, you know, had an experience in North Queensland that was very similar to slavery. It was indentured labour, and sometimes Aborigines did too in the Central Australia. But you know, that was ed edging towards being illegal, and that is very different to Australia, um, uh, uh, to America, you know, where it was part of their economy, their lawful economy. Slavery was part of their lawful economy and it was Africans, which is a very different kettle of fish to Indigenous people and Pacific Islanders anyway, because it's not about skin colour, really. Look, of course skin colour mattered back then. Do you remember that woman, you know? Did I talk about her? I had a, a woman in my head. I can't remember whether I talked about her. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, we didn't even know if diff people from different lands were the same as us, and they didn't know whether we were the same as them. You know, people, act activists, go, go back in time and slap someone in the face and say, "How did you not know that that person was just as human as you?" And she says, oh, "I don't know. You know, DNA hasn't been invented yet." You know. Um, yeah, all right, you're from the 21st century and that's been all been proven for you, but it hasn't been proven for me. How do I know that Indigenous people are the same species as me? Yeah, that sounds like a horrendous thing to say, but it's true. Because even the Indigenous people didn't know if the white Australians coming in, um, and I'm talking white skin, that was the most obvious thing about them, besides their ridiculous clothes, that the Indigenous people noticed, and there's plenty of records of that. Um, they had no idea whether these people were even human these Europeans coming to Australia. The Indigenous people had no idea whether these people were human. You know, they didn't even know if they had gender. There's an example of that when Matthew Flinders was going around Australia and he came across a tube in the, uh, a, a tribe and one of, the sh one of the sailors had to pull his pants down uh, to prove to the Indigenous people on the shore that he was even human and a man and had toggle. You know, had a toolbox down there. You know, they wanted to see evidence of a willy 
just to prove that these weren't ghosts or something, you know. So the indigenous people, and that, that was actually brought the house down that little episode. You should read up on it. It's very funny. I think it was Albany, you know. Um, yeah, Matthew Flinders grabbed a, <laughs> grabbed uh, an indigenous guy, went with Matthew Flinders on the ship. You know, he wanted to have an adventure too. That's pretty famous. And went across to the other side of Australia. And Matthew Flinders had visions of this guy interpreting for him. And they went across to the Western Australia and um, completely different language. And the indigenous person said to Matthew Flinders, you've got more chance of understanding this guy than I have. You know, he's not even, he's not even from my, he's not one of me. <laughs> he's not from my country. You know, Matthew, in nowadays we say, of course he was. He's from Australia. They're all the same, aren't they? No, completely different country. Didn't even understand him, you know. So they ended up having to do hand signals anyway. Even the two indigenous guys had to do hand signals to each other because they spoke different languages. Ridiculous. Anyway, when the when the sailor was forced to drop his pants to prove that Europeans had willies <laughs> and were human, um, brought the house down, and that was actually a real icebreaker at the time. And they had a good time together that night, that day, I believe. Um, the sailors and the people from Albany, the indigenous people, look, gold. They went terrible later, of course. Yeah. All right, so that's that. Um, and um, I suppose, you know, that serves as a very long but interesting, maybe, introduction. And now I think, do you know, sometimes I think you need to spend an hour thinking about how you're going to listen to someone else's podcast before you even start listening to it. I'm not in favour of not thinking how you're going to listen to someone else's podcast before you start listening to it. You know, start reacting to it. Um you know, John Wayne style, you know, pull a gun immediately. The first thing you hear something wrong on a technicality, you know, with my goddaughter's podcast or indeed mine, you know. Um, if I have spent an hour now before I've even started to talk about my po- my goddaughter's podcast, and actually I have actually been talking about her podcast as I've been going, haven't I? Um, you know, and you'll find as I listen to it and I sort of chat about what she's saying that I've talked about it a hell of a lot more than I'm even letting on. Yeah, a lot of what I've just spoken about is inspired by what she said in her podcast. All right, but she says it in a different way and, you know, probably in a better way than I'm saying it. But I don't think there is any harm for me from, you know, there is no problem with me reflecting on what I'm about to hear or even what I'm, I've heard already, which is about the first 13 minutes, you know. With all that in mind, I have done due diligence. Do you know what due diligence is, son? <laughs> um, I've done due diligence, um, and I have respected my goddaughter's honest feeling and genuine um, attempt to explore, not dictate, explore some of the issues around let's say, for example, the cultural differences between America and Australia in terms of our um, indigenous populations, you know. Now, sometimes we, you know, sometimes we get um, Americans coming over here who are very locked in to American race relations and they come over here and because they are so locked into that framework, they can get they can't get in, they can't comprehend. There's no way for them to comprehend properly what's happening here because they'd have to spend 10 years here to get a feel for it. You know, they think they do and they start talking, talking, talking. They, I saw a guy on Q&A from America, he's African-American actually, he was on Q&A, our ABC program, you know, and he was talking about how, he was lecturing how we need to do better for our Indigenous people. And I say, listen, mate, you really need to spend 10 years here 
to get the nuance. He said, I don't need nuance. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about black and white. You know, and he was really firm on that point. And everyone else on the panel was nodding. And, um, you know, and the crowd were agreeing and all that sort of stuff. And I was saying, oh, this is lacking nuance. You know what I mean? And then, you know, the panel might say to me, if I tried to suggest that on the panel, if I was on the panel, you talk, how dare you talk about nuance? Aborigines are getting smashed, you know? Uh, Black Death's in custody. Have you no compassion? Shut the hell up. You know? You say, oh, God. Palm face. Yeah? Palm face. I don't know. Or is it face palm? You know? It's slapping yourself on the forehead with the open end of your hand. (laughs) Um, Something like that, you know? Um, But do you know what? And I think I did hear my goddaughter say this. If you talk up the similarities too much, you'll find them. If you if you really want to find your slant, you'll find it, and you'll make it true too. It'll be a self fulfilling prophecy. You know. Now she has a friend, and she calls his A B. You know that's code word. Um, and as far as she can tell, and I'm pretty clear on this, he has come to Australia. He's African. He's African African. You know, not African-American and not African-Australian, but he came here as an African-African, and now he's African-Australian. But I think he's, um, he, is, uh, he just listens to American politics and, as a result, can't, can't, um, can't even recognise the existence of Australian politics, which is different. I'm not talking about political parties. I'm talking about politics as, you know, as happens between us all. You know, the way we relate. And um, he is sort of making Australian... He's, he's, sh- he's shoehorning Australian ways of relating between Indigenous and Australia, uh, Europeans, for example, into the way Americans think about that, you know. But there are some major obvious differences. I mean, for example, the Americans collect census data on what race... A person is you know they ask you are you white or black you know oh, we don't have any concept of that there's no way for you to google how many white people there are in Australia or black people we don't have that concept we simply don't have that concept we have a different world here and I mean in America you can you know you can google how many black people there are in America because they ask that question on the census you know we ask what country did you come from? You know, so we can distinguish between Ethiopians and South Africans, but amongst the South Africans, we don't know which ones are white and which ones are black. We just don't know in our statistics because that's the way we think. All right, um, there is a difference. But if you want to, if you want to discover, if you're determined that Australia is the same as America, you can make it so. You can make it so. And if you want to listen to my bo- my goddaughter's uh, podcast. With that, I will call bias in your mind, if you are determined that you are going to find that to be true, <coughs> no matter how careful she is, there is nothing she can stop, she can't stop you doing that. She has to be zen about this sort of stuff, it is my bet. And she has to say, you know, write you off as a lost cause in the thinking sense. Now, I really think that, okay? Um, because if you're, if you're determined that Australia is the same as America, you'll find that to be true. And as you're listening to my goddaughter's podcast, and if she makes some mistakes, as I've said, on technicalities, you know, Washington, and says Washington crossed the Hudson instead of saying Washington crossed the Delaware, you know, on a minor point, nothing to do with the major point. In fact, is he crossed a river, 
you know, and, um, and the symbolism of that and all that sort of thing. Um, and if you're going to say, well, you know, she's not worth listening to because she got the river wrong, then, you know, um, well, there's nothing just, nothing, you know, good luck to you. Um, teach your children well, and we will be America in one generation. Thank you very much. I will now listen to the rest of my goddaughter's podcast and see what she makes of this and that. Uh, But you know where I'm coming from now as I listen to my goddaughter's podcast. I'm going to be weighing things up. You know what I'm going to be saying? I'm going to be saying, um, and I'm going to be saying, hmm, you know. I'm going to be saying, yeah, I don't agree with that, and yet I get your point. I'm going to be saying things like that. And I'm going to be saying, you know, Hmm, and I'll be scratching my chin. I'm going to be having a good listen instead of a good smashing. Border Wars? Frontier Wars. Mile Street Massacre? Mile Creek Massacre. Now the fact that I got those things wrong, these points of detail, I think proves my point. What point? Oh, some point. (laughs) I can't remember now. Napoleon got to England? In his dreams, he got close. Uh, Hitler got close too. A lot of people have got close and not quite got there. A few did get there. William the Conqueror, he got there. Julius Caesar, he got there. Um, Uncle Emperor, hang on. What was his name? Oh, Claudius. Um, Claudius got there. Who else has conquered England? Quite a few people. Um, Who have I ticked off there? Uh, There was the Italians. Yes, that was Claudius. They um, conquered England. Uh, There was the Germans, the Angles and the Saxons and all that. They conquered England. All right. Italians, Germans. The Normans, what were they? Were they Viking or French? But anyway, let's call them Frenchies. I think they spoke French. Um, I think they were a bit Viking. Uh, Anyway... Who are we ticking off? England, never defeated. Uh, but, uh, except by the Italians. And, uh, oh, and the Germans, obviously. Uh, or oh, the French. Uh, but besides the Italians, the Germans, and the French, who has ever conquered England? Uh, the Danes? 